Welcome to The Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin, and my guest today is the Economic Ninja. He's back on the program, and we covered a whole bunch of stuff today. We talked about the Fed Now development and what that means for issuing of central bank-issued digital currencies. We talked about the global jockeying for power and the redistribution of the geopolitical chessboard. We talked about OPEC's new cuts and what that means. And we talked about the emergence of AI, ChatGPT, and I got his take on this fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy this. I know you will. As always, right beneath this piece of content, there is a link where you can subscribe to a newsletter that I write every single Sunday. It's my weekly essay. I love writing it. It's actually the favorite thing that I do each week. And I'd love to have you join the team of 40,000 other investors who hear from me once a week. All right, here is the Economic Ninja. Enjoy. All right, here I am with the Economic Ninja once again. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming back on. Thank you. To say it's a pleasure to be on your channel is an understatement. Thank you so much, Jay. Oh, man. Love that. Well, look, tons that I want to talk to you about. Let's start right here. So um, President Xi recently visited Moscow, spoke with Putin, made a comment that said, change is occurring right now that we haven't seen in 100 years, and we are driving this change together. And I'd love for you to put some context on that statement for us. Boy, you know, and, and I know you're, I love, like being just things thrown out at me. I wish I knew the exact date he's referring to, because I can guarantee you he's pulling an exact date of time reference because the Chinese are planners and they do not forget. They think 400 years in forward and they have a plan. We think four days or four months in, in, in advance. Uh, but I can tell you this. What Saudi Arabia said about the 50-year agreement with China and how they had broke away from the U.S. agreement with uh, pricing oil in dollars, and then they said they're aligning with China, and then a year later, they came out to reiterate it. And what was crazy is there was no reason to it bring it up again, at least in U.S., uh, in our ideology or how we think about what's going on with the break in the petrodollar. But they came out a year later and said, we want to make this very clear that not only are we aligned with China for the next 50 years, but beyond. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that these time points are being put out there. And what I foresee right now is the Chinese president understands that for the last 100 years, the U.S., even before uh, Bretton Woods was fully uh, put together, the U.S. had the ability to go in and be the lender of last resort, the savior, if you will, when it comes to a monetary policy around the world. And now we're seeing China doing that. In the last two years, I just did a video about this where China has been making these emergency loans to countries that are having uh, runaway inflation issues and problems with their economy, right? Everything from Sri Lanka to Turkey. And these emergency loans are a very easy way for China to get its grips into these countries and then align them with the BRICS nations, the new currency. And it is absolutely shocking to me. And that's why I believe he immediately remember when our U.S. banking system was crashing down a couple of weeks ago that now is in the rearview mirror with most people because that's where the media is trying to push it. He immediately jumped on a plane and said, I'm going to I'm going to come early. Why? Because they're going to go under the cloak of night. They're going to go and make these agreements with Russia that they've already got, but they're going to bring their alliances into strength while the news headlines are are reading. Hey, over here, 
the U the U.S. banking system's failing, and oh, the European banking system's failing, and at the same time, the headlines read, oh yeah, Russia and China are getting together to get ready to build that currency that's already been built, that new reserve currency, not the full world reserve currency, but a currency that will rival the dollar. And so that's what I think is so vital about this. And when he comes out and says 100 years, I need to go back and look at what happened 100 years ago, because I'll bet you it almost happened to the day that he announced that. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great take on uh, on Chinese philosophy, actually. So, you know, what's what's what is your take on the BRICS alternate currency, right? Yes, it could compete initially on the margins, right? This is not going to supplant U.S. dollar over the next few years. That's my opinion. Anyways, do you think, you know, what's your take, Travis, on uh, on the future of, of BRICS currency? Well, so when we talk about surplanting over the next couple of few years, I, I think we need to understand how fast a shift can change happen. Like when President Nixon came out and said, I'm going to um, halt the convertibility of, you know, uh, dollars into gold for a temporary time, that shift was seismic and it happened fast. It was literally overnight. That changed. Now, the people that didn't care were the people that didn't own gold and didn't understand the intrinsic value of gold. But to anybody that did, knew exactly what to do and when to do it. And people started going and gobbling up uh, gold. As a matter of fact, Robert Kiyosaki is famous of telling the story over and over again because it's so vital, is when he said he realized when that happened, he started to buy gold. And we look at what's happening right now and with these BRICS nations, the one thing that they all have in common is their central banks are buying gold and they're buying up gold at a fever pitch. The other thing that needs to be noted is that Europe and uh, especially the U.S. is not buying gold at a fever pitch. All right. That's not in the headlines. So we're talking about two major changes. It's akin to like when I tell people that nobody cares if Bitcoin's $28,000 right now if you don't own it. If you own it, yes, you care that it's 28000 but the only people that care about it are the people that have skin in the game or were thinking about getting skin in the game. Yeah. Now, looking at these these headlines just from two or three days ago, BRICS common currency soon, India and China step up to the to counter the U.S. dollar's dominance. If you would have if I would have asked you two years ago, Jay, would you have ever seen a headline like that? What would you have told me? Yeah, not in the mainstream like we're seeing it suddenly right right now. Exactly. So that's where I think that we're, we're sitting right now. This this a seismic change is happening right now as we speak. And you're right. We're probably not going to see the effects of it for a few years or, quite frankly, we may, because the more tighter and stronger the BRICS nations get, the less they need those dollars in their their currency um, uh, holdings and the, the bonds. They could decide right now to start dumping them. And how do they dump them? Well, if nobody around the world wants them, there's only two places they can go. They can go to Europe, possibly Canada, but really the US. And they can start buying up our real estate. They can start buying up more of our natural resources. And that's where all the dollars, dollars come home to roost, which would equal or lead to a hyperinflation in America. Now, what's your take on why now mainstream media, CNN, et cetera, is suddenly talking about this? Because I mean, let's just be clear, like they're not journalists or they would have been on the story a couple of years ago. So why now? Why start driving this narrative now about U.S. dollar weakness and the vulnerability of the United States? 
Well, it's exactly, it's akin to what's happening in social media with censoring, where you have a few people trying to go and scream to uh, the hilltops, this is happening, that's happening, why aren't you guys listening? And then they get cut out of social media, right? But then what happens is the ad revenue drops and you see these other news or social media companies pop up, right? And, And those people that were warning people move over to there. Well, on top of that, them moving over there, their audience starts to move over. The ad dollars start to move over. So then all of a sudden you see companies like Twitter and Elon go, hey, they're back on. Why? Because they know that they're going to fail if they don't have enough ad dollars and the people want to know the truth. It's the exact same thing in the actual mainstream media. When the mainstream media doesn't want to report on something, but everybody wants to know, all these small media outlets pop up. You saw this with Zero Hedge exploding in size to the point where the Congress is actually saying they're enemy number one. We need to stop them, which (laughs) it actually hit the news and it made them even more popular. It's like what's going on with the president right now being indicted. It's only going to make him more popular and more dollars are flowing into the campaigns. So that's what's happening. And that's why, yes, the mainstream media are not journalists. And so with us trying to warn people and, and showing people what the truth is, trying to get the voice out, the ad dollars are following. That makes absolute sense because, you know, I've, I've been watching this bull market in macro for like the last three years, right? There's been an, an increasingly large population of people who are trying to understand the world and language of money, right? And anyways, that's been the reason that I don't know how long you've been you've been doing this uh, as the economic ninja, but you know, it's the reason that my channel got a boost and suddenly I'm doing this, you're doing this, George Gammon, Mark Moss, like there's all sorts of new macro celebrities who have enormous audiences who are producing amazing content and people care. And, and I guess, you know, eventually you hit a tipping point where the audience is big enough that CNN catches on I'm like, Oh, this is what we have to talk about too. Right. Yeah. Well, so interesting enough, you bring it up. My channel is only two and a half years old from inception. The first video ever. It's one of the fastest growing. And I came in after COVID had already started. And all of these YouTube celebrities came in and, and literally brought themselves hundreds of thousands, if not millions of subscribers off of one topic and one topic only. And that was the uh, checks the money, the stimulus money that was coming in. People, there were YouTube people that I'd spoken with before I ever became a YouTuber that had, you know, a few thousand subscribers and went to literally a hundred thousand in two months because they were talking about the checks. Why? Because the American people and people around the world needed money, needed answers, and that's where they got it. Then you see them plateau. And it's very interesting because I always joke around. I'm like, man, if I would have been in six months earlier, it probably would have been at a million subscribers. That's something that people don't understand. This is what's very important for people to understand. It's about the views. It's about the attention. There are movements right now to hold people back because their views are actually expanding every day past, let's say, CNN's daily views. Um, I don't remember this. There's a couple different discrepancies, but at one point, this channel was getting more views than CNN every day, right? People want someone they can trust. And the cool thing is, the exciting part about all this is 90% or 95% of the human population are actually people that just want to be left alone, but also are good people at heart and just want to help other people, but they don't know how to do it. And so right now, media is changing hands from the mainstream to the out media and the out media is becoming stronger. And in that, People like yourself, Jay, that have a a good, solid head on your shoulders and are out there crushing it and want to help people and understand the concept and reap what you sow. So if you if you sow help, 
and harmony, you're going to get that back tenfold. And that's why everything's expanding. And that's what makes me excited. I wish I would have started six months ago, but to be honest with you, I look at attention being the most important thing. And so that's why I have to protect that and, and nurture it and embolden people, but also let people know that there's nothing different between you and me and them, except for maybe we finally made that step out to stand up and go, there's something wrong. We need to start saying something and getting the word out there. Mm. Yeah. Interesting perspective. Okay. So uh, backing up then back to the BRICS currency, what tools yep. do you think the, the Fed has in its tool belt right now to become more competitive? And we can look at like the, the Fed now system, right? Uh, allegedly a more effective vehicle to transfer money 24 seven, possibly also the vehicle to ship in a CBDC. I don't, I don't know your, your thoughts on that. But, you know, what tools are in the tool belt? What could you expect the Fed to do to retaliate? Because they're going to. No one gives up dominance voluntarily um, unless there's ulterior motives. But what, what's your take? Yeah. So first off, Fed now and the CBDC are one in the same. It's just okay. different ways of putting out propaganda. I want people to understand that they want to soften the blow to showing you that there will be a day where you will have no cash. There will be complete control and transparency and not transparency in the way you want transparency and knowing that the Federal Reserve will be able to not only inject and take money out of your wallet whenever they seem you know deem necessary, but also see exactly where you're spending it and where there's also going to be micro transactions of ta micro taxation involved and things like that, like literally on the minute taxation, right? This is very serious. And so they understand this. And there were documents put out, and I wish I still had them, but I read them back in 2014, that when this comes about, uh, the CBDC, the U.S. digital dollar, it will have to it'll align with a crisis because for surely, and I, if this is the exact wording, I don't remember, the American people will not buy off on this unless there is a crisis and they need it. Yeah. And so we saw that similar crisis in 2020 where um, money was injected into your bank account or you were handed a check because you needed money right now and people took it gladly. They didn't think about the ramifications. So that's one thing that I need people to understand. The second thing is that the Fed, see the U.S. government used to have the, oh, you're going to go against the U.S. dollar supremacy and, and not conduct transactions in bilateral trade in dollars. Okay, we'll just come and kick your butt and we'll just put in a whole new regime. That has been the story for literally decades. Okay, that it literally immediately stopped overnight with the current uh, presidency. All right, nothing. So now the Fed is sitting there and they're going, okay, we can still intimidate or we can delay. What they're doing right now is delaying. And this is what I'm going to tell you right now that most people don't understand. The central bank digital currencies around the world are much slicker and faster and cheaper to move. And the reason why is because they have aligned with certain blockchains, whether it be XRP or XLM, which were started by Ripple Labs. Um, XLM is an offshoot by the same you know, initial designers, and fabricators of that blockchain. But it was built by a private company in order to be used around the world because banks do not like doing things with decentralization. They want to be able to control a company, jail them, find them, blackmail them. That's just the truth. And around the world, countries have literally aligned with either uh, Stellar Lumens or XLM or Ripple and XRP to be able to build the rails, the central bank uh, digital currency to sit on top of the rails. And that's what people don't realize. All these countries have a very similar code base. The U.S. wants to own it just like they own Swift, but they don't technically own Ripple. And so Ripple is being uh, held 
in jail, essentially, by the SEC for the last two years. And they are being told that we're, we're still waiting to see, you know, just what the SEC deems XRP. Is it a security? Is it a commodity? What is it? Is it a private property? They don't even know. And the reason why they're taking so long is because they're trying to delay the, the, the inevitable because the world wants to go on these uh, blockchains to be able to push their digital currencies around the world and have transparency. The dollar, the U.S. does not want that. So the Fed is trying its hardest to come up with a system that not only moves its own digital currency on top, but allows other countries. And I believe they're going to fail. Why? Because right now, the U.S. and the Federal Reserve, the government and the Federal Reserve, which are totally separate entities, have such a bad rap because of the last 30, at least three decades of being the bully of the world. And so they're pushing out propaganda all over the place from wars and rumors of wars to uh, what's really, truly happening in the economy. And so the whole world sees it. And that's why it's so much easier for new countries to join the BRICS. Look, we just had Mexico apply for BRICS and they're going to get in. And I can't even imagine a day where China starts putting in all these emergency loans and funding into the country of China. And then at a certain point, there will be a day where China just goes, you know, we want you to stop doing, and this won't be out in the mainstream, but it'll happen behind closed doors. We want you to stop trading this one thing with the U.S. You're going to trade with us, and we're going to give you more benefits to trading with us instead of the U.S. Don't worry about the money you lose from them. Look at what you're going to gain from us. And it's even in the media today where China's calling for to, to combat what the U.S. is doing with uh, uh, trade agreements and things like that. They're saying, you know what? We don't need to ship off all these rare earth magnets. Now, that's a big deal. Why? Because it stops our semiconductor industry. And people don't realize that. Right now, Taiwan is pushing a bunch of its semiconductor infrastructure over to the U.S. because the government made a way for them to do it money-wise. But they also know that if China moves into Taiwan, it's going to be lights out for semiconductors if this isn't done fast enough. So right now, Taiwan is driving so much business over to the U.S. just to try and build these uh, equipment plants. But another thing that people don't realize is there's something in the... Uh, uh, semiconductor space. It's called the 200 millimeter tools. 200 millimeter tools are one size of tools that build semiconductors. China has been buying all of them up worldwide, and it's becoming very hard for our country to try and build semiconductors in the 200 millimeter space because the secondary market's getting tapped so much by China. So there's so many agreements behind the scenes that are happening, and it does play in with this war, this economic war that's going on with these central bank digital currencies. The whole world gets it, and it seems like almost U.S., Europe, and Canada are the ones on the outside because they're being force-fed total propaganda by the mainstream media. Right. So it's, they're essentially monopolizing the picks and shovels of the semiconductor industry. That's fascinating. Absolutely. And, and Korea is a key, just so people understand how big of a deal Korea is, Korea is the alternative to getting these uh, parts. And so Korea is trying their hardest to put out these parts, but it's getting harder and harder for people, to, for companies to source these 200 millimeter parts. So they're going to a different scale. But here's the other thing that's very important. If a chain, if we've already seen how bad it was when a frost hit a semiconductor plant in texas and took it offline and then ironically the second largest plant i think in the world in japan burnt down within 30 days so weird and then we saw what happens when the smallest part on a vehicle like this one or a dishwasher is all of a sudden not there even if it's not expensive it's just not there 
Well, it causes a breakdown of supply chain and throws industry for a loop. So we're literally talking about a battle or a war over the smallest little part. And since America pushed all of its manufacturing over to China decades and decades ago, thanks to some stellar presidents, please sense the sarcasm, um, we now are in a position where we need to get manufacturing back here and we got to get it back here quick. If not, the Western economies are all going to suffer because China is also going to be holding Europe hostage too as well. That's that's the other thing people don't realize. China, China knows that Europe's banking system is at, at a closer breaking point than the U.S. one. And they also see the vulnerabilities, especially, hopefully the world understands after the Ukraine war, how vulnerable Europe was and how prideful they were to how vulnerable they were to an energy crisis because they were relying on Russia. And so now China and Russia are starting to use that as well uh, to manipulate the world's economies, just like what we're seeing. And I know I'm jumping everywhere, but the Japan, you know, paying over the price cap for Russian oil. It's interesting how that was all planned too. It's totally orchestrated between OPEC plus and Saudi Arabia. Why? Because OPEC plus and Saudi Arabia are aligning with the BRICS. You know, it's interesting when you look at countries like Saudi Arabia, like Mexico, beginning to form a decision about maybe realigning their uh, economic interests with the East, with the BRICS, as opposed to with the West. And if you say that the United States has abused their power and weaponized their currency for the last 30, 40 years, I kind of shrug my shoulders and I'm like, yeah, the world superpower is always going to do that. And if you think China is any different, like you're kidding yourself, put yourself in the position of, of these countries. And I would say, well, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. So but if there is simultaneously a loss in confidence in the competence of those nations, that's a different story because then you're looking at what can be promised to me in the future and actually delivered. And maybe I don't have the confidence that, that can be delivered from my historic partners. What do you think? So you just made a great statement. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. That comes from somebody that thinks clearly and acts decisively, right? But we're not dealing with most of the, the world doesn't do that, right? They're reactionary, okay? They're not on the, they're mostly on the defensive. They, they don't do anything unless something attacks them. So let's, let's break that down because this is very important. Obama, he, when he won, it was President Obama, it was historic, right? But it wasn't. The reason they were able to get such a good campaign on their candidate was because he used one word, and that was change. Right. Change. And how did he appeal to the masses? Well, the masses don't think uh, politically. The masses don't think strategically. All they know is this sucks. Life sucks. It happened to me. I'm not at fault. Someone else is at fault. And someone came around saying change. Yeah. You know who else said that? And I'm not comparing him, but I mean, there was a dictator in Germany that also came about and said, I'm going to change the system, right? The Weimar Republic is hyperinflating. We've got all these economic problems. I'm going to induce change. And that is how one of the most horrific leaders in Earth's history came about. Now, you're right. The devil we don't know, China, BRICS, Russia, they are telling you it's about to change. You don't like what they've been doing? We're going to change that. You're impoverished right now because of trade alliances with the U.S. And we'll use Mexico as an example. And they're holding you back. But we know how much oil you have. We know how much farmland you have. And the U.S. government has been sent, having you send up 
uh, agriculture at certain fixed prices because they can tax the people through a tariff so that they can lie to them. But you know what? We know what's going on. We want your commodities or we'll pay top dollar. We also saw this exact same thing happen when the U.S. tried to destroy Russia through sanctions, slamming their oil price uh to nothing, slamming their uh, their ruble to nothing, and the Russia had the most amazing idea ever. They said, "You know what we're going to do? We're going to stand up against the U.S. dollar uh, dominance, and we're going to say anybody that wants to buy Russian oil because oil prices are spiking, we're going to offer a discount. But th this is the deal: you got to pay in rubles." And we got to see. Hopefully, the American people got to see exactly why the U.S. dollar has been so strong for so many years. Is that when countries need your oil or something from you, they've got it, and they're forced to buy your currency. It bolsters your currency, and we saw that Russian ruble go from here to here, and that is what is happening right now, and it's so important. So that's the devil that you don't know. They're saying we're going to invoke change, and we've got tons of headlines to prove to you that they are in trouble. They're the bad guys, and we want, we're tired just like you. They're going to show other countries we get it. And so here we go. Let's all do this together. Interesting. Okay. So then give me your take, uh, if you have one, on the incentive for OPEC to, you know, they announced these cuts last weekend, rates to like 1.6 million barrels per day. And uh, I've heard arguments that say, look, they're preparing for a 2008 style global recession and the decrease in demand that will come with that. This is just good business. But the other part of me says, us maybe in response to weaponized currency, well, they're weaponizing their currency, which is oil, right? And they're leveraging yep. the power they have. So what's your what's your take on this? Yeah, so we all know that a good businessman would rather sell half of the items at double the cost price, right? You work less and you make the same amount of money. And then if you can ink out some high, some more sales, you're making even more money. And then you're holding your stuff in reserve. So in this case, Saudi Arabia is holding their oil in OPEC plus holding their oil in the ground. But this is what's very important that people need to understand. There are countries that are still allowed to buy. So Russia's having a hard time selling oil, right? Because of all these sanctions that the U.S. put on them. Japan is one of those countries that was allowed to continue to buy uh, Russian oil above the cap. The reason why is because Japan is a key partner of ours, and they do not produce oil, and they need oil to survive. And if Japan's economy uh, collapses because the cost of oil is getting too expensive, thus causing um, a degradation or a degradation in, in commerce because companies cannot pass those costs off to their consumers – and they implode, we're in trouble. The U.S. is in trouble. So the U.S. said, you know what, Japan, you're still allowed to buy from Russia above the cap. We're going to place this cap on all these other countries. What's the easiest way to be able to get Russia out of their doldrums? Let's get the price of oil to pop up. So this is a win-win situation. You've got China. Now, just imagine that this happens. I don't know about this or not. Let's just say three countries, Saudi Arabia, China, and Russia are all on a phone call. And they're saying, okay, here's the deal. Uh, Saudi Arabia, thank you for your allegiance. You know, we're going to be working together. We're going to be putting a ton of infrastructure in your country, us being China. Uh, we need some help. We need our other trading partner. We're a team. There's three of us. We need Russia to be able to sell some more oil and be able to break this, this deal right here. So let's see if we could get the price of oil to pop. Well, how do we do that? I have similar conversations in my advertising company with other uh, advertisers when we're trying to strategize what's the best way to sell a product. We love it, but we got to get it out in front of the people. So they go, okay, let's just... Let's decrease supply and let's make it really shocking. And you see those headlines were very shocking. The OPEC uh, plus coming out and saying, we're going to drastically or severely shorten the amount of oil that's produced. That is trying to create a shock. Well, what it does, that one day we saw oil pop up in uh, what, 
uh, Asia trading, what, like 7%. How many people that were short oil because the narrative for the last 40 days has been oil is dropping in price because it's already pricing in a worldwide recession, right? That's what always happens. Oil prices are a bellwether and an early indicator to the health of an economy. So because the traders were shorting this, what did that do? It caused a lot of people to cover and it's creating sort of this, this floor on the price of oil, in my opinion. On top of that, now Japan is still able to buy from Russia, but at a higher price. So now Russia's gaining. So everybody's gaining this year now, except for America. America was using their own oil until the new president came in and said, no, we don't like that. Let's just keep buying oil from Saudi Arabia because we're trying our hardest to keep sucking up essentially to them for lack of better terms. And now it's causing us to pay higher fuel prices. And check this out. This is just the beginning of spring. The higher fuel, uh, fuel and oil go higher getting into July. So it's very interesting timing right at the beginning of spring when all of this starts hitting all at once. That's my take on it. Interesting. Okay. I like it. I have to ask your take on the emergence of chat GPT-4. I have to, I have to think you've got some thoughts on, um, on this trajectory, this impacts. Do you have any concerns? Um, I know, have all I'm, concerns. Let me just like share some context. So, you know, in the United States, now they're talking about a six month block on training of AI or AGI uh, professionals, which is ridiculous. You know, it's not this, you can't localize um, uh, a decrease in technology development because our competitive nations will just charge forward at a six month head start. But anyways, I'll stop. What's your take? You go first. Okay. I'm going to, so I have all concerns. This is all horrible. Um, people like me are going to make money from it because I see the benefits there. Right. But that's where, why it becomes horrible. Cause more and more people are going to be like me and go, why would I pay someone to do this when I could have chat GPT do this? Yeah. I'm going to use an example in California as a grocery store. I used to be when I was uh, in, uh, let's say I was 16 years old. I was a bag boy at a grocery store. My job was literally to stand in front of a checkout stand and bag groceries. That's all I did. There was a day where that went away. One or two stores thought about it and said, hey, why don't we offer you lower pricings? And you know how we're going to do that? You're going to bag your own groceries. And a lot of people laughed in the industry. They mocked it. I remember I worked for one of the largest grocery chains in the country. As a matter of fact, the store I worked at was one of the busiest in the country. So we had the big wigs always cruising through our region and they would mock it. They said, this is never going to go over. And what they were so prideful and arrogant to pay attention to was the consumer doesn't care about your employees. They care about how much the groceries cost. They care about the quality of the service and they care about how clean the store is. That's it. So you just eliminated one. So now one job's gone. Secondly, the, the checkouts, I was that guy and I still am when there's a line there's one checkout person because now there's robots that just literally scan, you scan your own items. You're doing all the work. You're putting your credit card up or, or feeding cash into this machine. And one person watches over like eight of these checkouts. And then there's right now, not for long, there's one person sitting in that one other checkout. And I'm in line with five other people. And the one person manning eight registers goes, you could just come in here. And I go, no, I'm going to save this person's job and yours. And that's it, right? But here's the problem. Other people don't get it, and they're all filing in a line. This is what ChatGPT is, but on cocaine. And I'm not joking. It took now. I get technology advances, and it causes new technologies to advance even faster. But I believe it was. It took Facebook one year to get to a million subscribers, and it took uh, some other uh, 
brand, I think it was like six months to get to a million subscribers. It took chat GPT five days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I get that because of technology. That's normal. But here's what's scary. It's moving so fast. And literally within the last five months of this technology being out, it is now painting photos, writing songs. And this is the scariest part. It's writing code. And the code, I've spoke with some coders that are very well-known in their industry. And I can't talk about this, who they are, because obviously their job, they'd be good to talk to. They're saying what's scary about it is that you now don't even need a coder to really overlook the code. Because somebody, a C-suite exec could go, hey, we need this new code to do this. As long as I know what to type in there, and it's pretty darn easy, because I can go use this uh, code as an example, code base, or use this as an example. It runs it, puts it together, you apply it and go, yeah, it works, or it doesn't. Okay, I got to tweak a little bit. It doesn't even need a coder to really look at it. That's the scary thing. And what I tell people, and I was talking to my barber the other day, because he says, well, don't worry, my job's safe. And I also said, talk to a Uber driver. And he said, don't worry, my job's safe. I said, you're right. Well, the Uber driver, you can get autonomous vehicles. Those are already out there. So maybe you're not so safe, but let's say the barber. And there's all of these people around here going, my job's safe, my job's safe. I, you know, I, I swing an ax or a pick, you know, I'm like, well, there's 3D homes being printed right now. So that's, that's also gone, but let's just use the barber. If you think, that's probably the most basic thing. Nobody's going to be able to cut my hair. They don't make something called a Floby anymore. That's gone. They don't have a robot that can cut your hair. The problem is for all the jobs being lost, people want to be barbers because that's all they're going to be forced with or, or be in front of. McDonald's, you're just saying, oh, you guys want $15, $18 an hour? No problem. There's now a robot taking your place. And it's going to happen super fast. I mean, I'm not joking. You will see, and I'm calling for 10,000 jobs, job layoffs a day by inside the fall, somewhere in the fall of this next year, you will see, I will be able to add up 10,000 jobs being lost a day for so many different reasons, but chat GPT being one of them, because we are in that transition phase right now that so many people are saying, why would I need a copywriter? Why would I need someone to write a contract? There's certain people, lawyers and stuff. Why are you going to need to argue the law? Chat GPT will do it. I'm not joking. There's it's it's scary. And so that's why I'm telling people we need to get manufacturing back to the, the Western states. We need to start pe people need to start uh, creating businesses right now to overcome the void that's going to be made by all of the layoffs, literally from just this technology alone. OK, so so threats of the unknown from emerging AI and the relative technologies Global jockeying for power, putting the geopolitical chessboard into uncertainty. Fed now, CBDCs, more unpredictable, possibly unwanted chaos. How do you protect your sovereignty? All these moving parts, chaos abounds every direction you look. You know, what do you do personally to retain your sovereignty and create a robust future? So, you know that I, I like crypto. I like uh, decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. I have a handful of others, but, and also gold. Problem with cryptocurrencies, the derivatives attached to them are intense. And I believe that during a downturn of the stock market, we're going to see huge losses due to massive sellings based off of the derivatives, the the, the gray market or the, the black market, right? Um, people will pop out, sellers will pop out of the woodworks when things happen and crypto drops fast. It still comes down to gold. And this is why, two reasons. It is God's money. And I believe in God. And I look at literally the work that went into that, that, making that gold and refining that precious, amazing, beautiful metal, right? Also silver. Here's the thing. 
it also has a derivatives market. And we've seen it sell off. From 2007 to 2008, when Lehman uh, cr- collapsed, we saw the price of paper, gold, and silver sell off. That's still happening. However, something different happened. And it happened about uh, three years ago. And when the world shut down during COVID, people dove into the uh, precious metal space as the paper derivatives sold off. Yeah. They dove into the physical. And for the first time ever, we saw an extremely tight market to where we saw premiums on thousand ounce silver Comex bars, literally at a dollar, dollar fifty, blowing my mind. Right. And people would say, yeah, but look, it didn't do anything. Yes, it did. It shifted the perception of precious metals. And so, but the problem is when you talk about this, what do people do? They race out and spend all their money on precious metals. You're like, okay, that's not the way to go about this. However, yeah. I tell people, if you want to be wealthy, you need to do what wealthy people do. Well, wealthy people in central banks are buying up gold, hand over fist. There are even money gurus out there that say they hate gold. And I know for certain they're buying physical gold, but they don't want to tell anyone that. Why? Because you don't make any money telling people that. You make money telling people to buy 401ks and, hey, I trust this one. So I get a kickback on it. And also you should buy homes because they don't go down. And oh, yes, you should use my real estate agent because I get a kickback on it. So that's the sad thing. So it all comes back to gold. And that's why what you and I have in common. And the scary thing is, and I tell this to people all the time. I was talking to David Morgan a while back. I said, are you ready for what's going to come? He goes, oh yeah, I'm ready. I go, no, for the fame. And I'm not joking and not in a good way. Because when this happens, the human population are going to look to those that were warning a while ago, not the talking heads, because you're going to see the mainstream media talking about it. You're going to see every, everybody on YouTube talking about it. The cool thing is people like yourself, myself, and others that we know will have a track record of saying, yeah, we saw this a while ago. And then this is what they're going to do. What's next? And what's scary is after that, it's going to be real estate after it comes crouching down. What do you mean? Hold on. So not, not real estate. Yeah. So, so gold and silver, when they start to move up higher, it's going to be because of bad things happening, right? Um, The Fed's going to pivot and they're going to drop rates, right? Why would the Fed drop rates or or central banks around the world drop rates? That's my reasons. piece of silver right there. It's a hundred ounce silver shell. (laughs) Oh, I love that. The howitzer round or something like that. I love those. I'm not that, I'm not that much of a baller. I've got the, I've got the, the smaller one. I guess size matters when you're talking about silver. (laughs) So I thought you'd like that one, but hey, the, the, you know, when, when the, the, the Fed pivots and drops rates, it's because of two things. Uh, the stocks are collapsing and or the uh, the housing market's collapsing, but they always usually come, come in, in twos. They come together. So as housing starts to collapse and people are scared of catching a falling knife, there's going to be some things that the, the government's going to do to make things more interesting. Because, yes, mortgage rates are going to plummet, but home prices pro- possibly aren't falling at the same rate. So they're still a little bit expensive. But because of the perception and the fear, the government's going to move into a government qualifying conforming 40 year or 50 year mortgage. And that's the scary thing because what they're going to do to boost uh, lending and borrowing for banks, because that's how banks made money, right? They make money by literally loaning money into existence from nothing. And then being able to get paid back that money plus the interest. The shift that happened in uh, us real estate, when we went from a 15 or 20 year mortgage standard mortgage to a 30 year government conforming mortgage, it caused real estate to balloon. In the mid 70s, it just took off. And it was because it was cheaper because people, the consumer only cares about the monthly payment. That's that next move. And people need to be ready and understand that that is something, it's going to almost force you to buy a home 
with debt, knowing that that pendulum is going to swing and a lot of greedy people are going to dive into the market again, and then it's going to go up. That's why I tell people gold is not gold. It's not your, your hedge forever. You should always have a certain amount for insurance, but if you have a large percentage of your holdings in gold and it skyrockets and you find another asset class that collapses and you don't sell it to buy into that next asset class, you're nuts because there is a revaluation and gold will, after it balloons, it will be revalued because a new currency will come out there with like the perception of a backing or some promise. And like you said, the devil you don't know always becomes the devil you know after you trust them long enough. And then you go, oh crap, it's the same thing. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah, right. You know, I, I don't know um, what your what your positions look like in the precious metals market, but people are often surprised how little gold I actually think you need to own, you know? And because I talk about it on the channel, I write about it in my weekly essay that I publish, you know, but I equate it to like gold is like the most primitive um, necessary part of your portfolio. The same as like doing a push-up is the first step to hitting the gym. You know what I mean? Like it starts there and then you build elaborate things on top of it. But because, you know, I have that bedrock, what gold does to me, the utility of it is just, it's a good night's sleep. That's really what I get. There's, like you said, there's no yield. I don't own it for the capital gain. I play with mining stocks for that, but the physical is just there for the good night's sleep. It's like the insurance policy would with zero counterparty risk. And that's the key is the zero counterparty risk. There's no CEO who can get involved in a scandal and crash the share price. There's no government who can print more and devalue its, its worth. It just protects purchasing power. And it's like 5% of my net worth, which you may think is a lot or a little depending on, on where you sit, but uh, not as much as people tend to think given how I speak. Yeah, I'm trying to do fast math. I want to say my gold position sits around probably three or 4%. Yeah. And my silver sit and see, I hate saying these numbers because you don't want people following you, right? Because everyone's yeah. different you know, with the yes, risk. Yes, my yeah. silver probably sits at 25, 30% of my net worth. Okay. okay. Yeah. And it's it's because I totally understand the whole hey, we're actually gonna run out of it. We can't build a single piece of electronics without it. There it is the benchmark, the standard. And I don't care about the price. I care about the one day. And and I'm okay because uh what happens is I gain more wealth in U.S. dollars. I put that into different pots. Uh, you know, I have stocks. I have you know precious metal stocks. I have other stocks. I have real estate, and I just keep stacking. But that percentage will pay off one day. And just like my crypto, um, my crypto used to be a massive percentage, especially in 2017 when it just, I mean, exploded. I mean, I saw cryptos go from literally three thirty cents to $80. I actually experienced that and sold, right? It, it, it blows your mind. You didn't need a lot of money back then to make a lot of money. Well, then wow. I took that money and I bought silver. Well, I get to the point and I try and explain this to my followers, subscribers, I have to vault. I can't, I'm not going to hold that in my house. And so a lot of people are like, yeah, but if you don't hold it, you don't own it. And I said, well, these vaulting companies aren't in the business of going out of business. So this is not like a bank, but here's the scary thing. There is a way of getting yield on gold. And I'm in talks with some people to totally transform that. And after the Swiss changeover with, uh, what was it? Uh, I'm thinking bricks. It was um, uh, Basel III uh, with gold becoming a tier one asset. There is, I believe, a product, a financial product that's coming out in the near term where you're going to see the ability for the common man or woman to be able to lease gold to banks to, to beef up their balance sheet through the proper entity. And um, I don't want to say much more, but it's, I, I know this is going to, this is going to come about here in this near term. And that gets me excited. So there will be a day where people will say, 
well, you want to make a good interest rate? Do you do a CD or do you lease your gold? Yeah. And that's coming. And the banks don't want that, but they're going to be forced into it because they're not going to be able to go to daddy fed much longer because I don't right. think the Fed's got much gold. You know, Rick Rule is doing something similar with his battle bank, right? Oh, really? He'll lend against your physical gold holding. So he'll hold it for you and lend yeah. against and uh, you know, I'll have to give him a call because I've been I've been looking at Battle Bank, but um, there is I'm wondering where they're investing because most uh, these prop companies are lending into the jewelry market because the companies don't the jewelry companies don't have enough money to hedge the the volatility and the price of gold. Um, very few are looking into the actual now. Battle Bank probably is using it for strategic reserves under Basel Three, but I'd be curious. So I'll give him a call. That's a good yeah. conversation we can have yeah. me and him. Yeah, that's his retirement project. <laughs> that's a good retirement project. We need something like that, Jay. Right? Yeah. All right. Look, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much from uh, from from calling in from the back of a cop car, Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> They've been searching for me. They finally got me. <laughs> but honestly, no, it's always a pleasure and and learning from you and picking your brain on various topics. I hope you can make it back to Vancouver in January, back to the VRIC. It'd be honored to host you again. So I hope we can thank make you. that happen. But yeah, appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.